Hey, good morning, new community, and uh, I, I hope you see how much fun we had with the Kids Town kiddos this week. Um, if you missed it, this morning at 9.30, we had our Kids Town pajama party hangout online. We'll have that video up here in just a little bit as well. And for those that joined, I hope you guys had a blast. I hope you just play those songs and those dances all week long. If you're new with us, thanks. Thanks for being here. If you're back with us, thanks for being here again. Um, if you are new, we'd love to connect with you. As you heard earlier, you can go on our website, newcommunitywv.com slash connect, or just click the connect tab, and uh, you can get connected to some of the things that we're doing. We'd love to, to stay in touch. I wanted to also just pause again and thank all of our volunteers so much that are making things happen through the life of our church in this strange season. We've got so many tech volunteers that you don't get to see. Our Kids Town team did an incredible job this week. People that are out keeping us connected to what's going on in the community, musicians, just across the board. I'm so grateful for the things that are taking place. And also, as you heard earlier, uh, we're gonna be kicking off a brand new expression of ministry in the next few months called House Churches. And I would love it if you're interested in that, either comment on here, send me an email, justin at newcommunitywv.com. Um, let us know. We, we want to do some training with some folks who are thinking, how do, I, how do I bring the life of Jesus into my home, into my neighborhood? How do we do this well? And so that's going to be kicking off. If you have a Bible, you can go to Exodus chapter 16 today. Exodus chapter 16 is where we're going to spend some time. We are in week two of a brand new series that we've called Close Quarters. And Close Quarters is all about how do we love the people that we're stuck with, the people that are closest to us. In this season, it feels like we're stuck. We understand that we have to stay at home, but how do we keep loving well in the midst of tight spaces? Last week, that's what we talked about. We talked about the fact that tight spaces, close quarters, actually bring stress and tension to often and our, our closest relationships. And so it can be really difficult. We, we can get the grumbles. We can start to complain about how hard that is. And I was thinking about that this week. Uh, in our home, we were, we were baking something one night, some kind of dessert. I don't even remember what it was. But our home is uh, pretty much, not, not strictly, but pretty much a plant-based home. So we don't do a lot of meat. We don't do a lot of dairy or eggs. That's just kind of the way we roll. And as we were trying to make this dessert, it called for eggs. And what we discovered is there are certain recipes that if it calls for eggs, you can't replace it with bird seed. Like that doesn't work. You have to use real eggs. Because what happened to this dessert was that when it came out of the oven, it kind of turned into a chocolate tar substance like sludge. Okay, that's, that's just kind of what it, what it was. So here's what I thought about. When you're cooking, if you're calling for eggs, you're calling for sugar, and you don't have those things, and the recipe really needs those things, you can't create something in a jar when it's empty. You don't have that ability to pour something out of a jar if it's empty. I think the same thing happens to us in relationships. See, we've all been feeling this in some way or another, right? Like, I, I read a study this week that was talking about since the pandemic has hit, since we've been in these stay-at-home situations, there's more conflict. There's, there's more discipline in the home uh, being carried out. There's more surprise. There's more yelling and screaming. There's more harsh words. And a lot of that is because people are missing friends. Parents and kids both are missing friends. They're missing regular life. We maybe are worried more about money. These close quarters are stressing us out. 
Maybe we're feeling that pressure of trying to fill our relationships with, with something that we can't create. We just don't have what we need to fill those relationships. Have you ever done that? I, I don't know if you have. I, I've experienced this where there's, there's no patience left, right? And so because I have no patience left, I start demanding that everybody gets in line. I'm going to try to create something because I have nothing left. Or maybe you're restless or you're worried about your job, about your finances. And, and, and so the way that you try to create something is you simply try to numb that restlessness or ignore it. You try to create some kind of false sense of rest. Or, or if there's no joy left, we, we end up trying to distract ourselves with false entertainment. See, here, here's what I would say to you today. When it comes to relationships, you cannot pour out what you don't have. And close quarters, living in these tight spaces, these relationships that when things get hard, when things get difficult, that stress comes in. Close quarters can cause us to run out and we realize exactly what we don't have anything left of, whether it's energy, patience, joy, comfort, peace, kindness, whatever it is. And I would imagine over the past month or so, at one time or another, we've all felt this. We've all felt the stress that this can cause. So, so I, I want to show you from Exodus 16 today a story of God's people in the midst of close quarters and how they started to understand this principle that we can't create what we don't have. So let's catch up here. If you missed last week, here's what's going on in this story. The Israelites have been freed from slavery in Egypt. After 400 years, God sends Moses and Aaron to go and rescue them. And they have this miraculous rescue, two to three million Israelites coming out of slavery through the Red Sea. Remember, the waters are parted and they're walking on dry ground. And we talked last week about how immediately after that miracle, they're on the other side of the sea and they break out in this kind of worship revival. They're celebrating what God has done and they find themselves at, themselves at this place called Elam, which was basically paradise. It was full of palm trees and fresh water. But it was immediately after that that they enter the desert. The desert of sin is what it's called, but it's the wilderness and we're told that they start grumbling. They start grumbling against Moses, against Aaron. Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? Why didn't you let us stay there? It would have been better for us to die in Egypt. At least we would have had meat, right? They were hangry. They were complaining. They were grumbling. They had all this stuff going on. And we talked last week about the fact that in those tight spaces, remember, two to three million Israelites in one wilderness area, we get those grumbles. We do that, right? We camp in the negativity of our present circumstances. We forget our past and what God has done. The Israelites forgot what God had brought them through. And we lose sight of the future and the hope that the future holds. And so we sit down right in the middle of our negative present and we just start complaining. See, for the Israelites, just a month out of slavery, their perception has become their reality. Their perception of their own circumstances is now their standard to base their reality. And so they use this phrase, if only, if only we had died, at least we had meat. The first thing I want to say to you today, your perception is not the standard of reality. Right? I know that's kind of a countercultural thing to say, but it's true. Your, your perception of your circumstances cannot be the standard of your reality, especially in your relationships, because your perception is limited. It's flawed. Your perception gets hangry. 
You get hungry and angry. It gets hopeless. And the ultimate standard of reality always has to be going back for us to who God is and what he says. And it's like that in your relationships. See, your, your closest relationships, your most intimate relationships often get skewed by your perception. And so we start throwing out, when our perception of reality is the standard, then, then we start throwing out words like always and never. These are curse words in our home, by the way, the words always and never. So we might say, you never do this, or you always do this, or she never does this. She just doesn't know, she never does, he never does this, or he always does this. The kids always do this, and those are skewed understandings, because at the very least, you sleep, you eat, and you're not doing those things that you're saying always and never about. See, when our perception is the standard of reality, we have skewed understandings. And that, that's what we're going to talk about today. God's response to the Israelites grumbling. God's reality check for the Israelites. In their standard, their perception, when they say, this is real. If we had died in Egypt, God wakes them up and says, let me give you a reality check. Look at Exodus 16. We're going to start in verse 4 of this chapter. Here's what it says. Immediately following the Israelites grumbling. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And he says, in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Now, I love this moment because I want to ask you this question to think about. This is why I love this moment. Have you ever wanted to smite someone, right? Smite's not a word that we use very often anymore. But if there was ever a time when God should have smited someone, unleashed his wrath, his judgment, this is the moment. Right, But this is a moment of grace. Think about this. How many of you, have, maybe in this pandemic, you've threatened to smite your kids or you will threaten over the next day because I gave you a new word. If there was ever a moment where God should have punished with wrath, with judgment, this is it. These two to three million recently freed slaves are less than a month out of their slavery and they're asking, why don't you just kill us? This is grace that God doesn't do it. He obviously could. He could have said, hey, Israelites, let's walk back to the Red Sea. I forgot to teach you how to surf on the bottom of the ocean. Let's, let's go try that. But, but God's grace is so good that instead of smiting, instead of judging them, he creates bread from the heavens. Instead of saying, go to bed without dinner, he tells them, I'll take care of your breakfast every day. It's grace. It's grace, and we'll talk more about that in a minute because I don't want you to miss this either. God says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven, but he also says, I will test them. You see, you're going to see in this story that they are the, to, to gather, the Israelites are to gather the gift of the bread every day, but only what they need. No more, no less. And in that gathering of only what they need, God is saying, I'm giving grace to you, but I only want you to take what you need because I'm actually testing your obedience. I'm showing you grace, but I'm testing your obedience because I'm leading you. Remember we said they're moving through the desert toward a place called Sinai where God will reveal himself and give them the law. And he's prepping them, teaching them, training them, raising them up into obedience. So here's grace. Take my free gift, but only gather what you need. I want to know if you're going to be obedient. See, he's granting them grace and he's growing them along the way. In close quarters, friends, that's what happens. We are granted grace and we are grown along the way. 
So Moses and Aaron call the people together to fill them in. Look at verse 6. Here's what they say. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Because he's heard your grumbling against him. And then I love this response from Moses and Aaron. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he's heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Now, hang here for a minute because these verses are loaded with, with, with meaning and purpose here. There are three phrases Moses, Moses and Aaron repeat here. Did you catch them? Here's what they say. They said, you will know that it was the Lord. Then they say, you will see the glory of the Lord. And then they repeat it, you will know that it was the Lord. And right in the middle of all that, they utter this other phrase. Who are we? Right? Who are we that you're going grumble, to grumble against us? We are not the ones you should be grumbling against. They're saying, take it up with God. Now, I love this. I love this because Moses and Aaron are basically laying it out. They're saying, you're about to have your grumbling met by God and you need to pay attention because we're not taking this up again with you. We're not going to talk about this anymore. We're not listening to your complaints when it's really about your issues with God. See, in this very moment, Moses and Aaron are humble enough to not take credit for the things God has done. But they're also... And I like this. They're also not taking blame for the issues that people have with God. You know, when we talk about the tension that comes to our relationships, our closest relationships, isn't it amazing how we can hurt the people we love the most? We can be so nice to strangers, so nice to community friends, but the people that we love the most are often the people where the most tension, the most hurt comes from. And I think when we talk about that tension, Often the real issue is that we've either taken too much credit or given too much blame. Some of you today need to tell the truth about your relationships and your needs. See, some of us are simply living facades. We've, we've treated our relationships, our closest relationships, maybe our marriage, our, our, our kids' relationship. We've treated those relationships as if those are the source of our life, our strength, our joy, and our hope. And in doing that, we've given those relationships more credit and more blame than they ever deserve. Now listen, your closest relationships matter. They're special, intimate even, but they are often not the central thing. And some of you need to tell the truth. Some of you, at least part of that truth, starts with this principle that I, that I want to share with you. You can maybe write this down or just think about this. You cannot create the love needed to sustain your own relationships. You can't do it. When your relationship runs out of something, when your jar for your relationship is empty, you cannot create what's needed to sustain that relationship on your own. Often our jars are empty and we're being asked or think we have to pour something out that we don't possess. My marriage is falling apart. I just got to give more of this. But the problem is I don't have more of this to give. You can't create what you don't have. You can't pour out what you don't have. And if you try, your relationship is going to look like the dessert we made this week. It's going to look like relational sludge. See, Aaron and Moses say, why are you grumbling about us? You're going to know it was God. Your marriage, friends, is not meant to be your sustaining force. Jesus is meant to be the life that sustains you. Your kids, parents, some of you really need to hear this. Your kids are not meant to be your identity. They will one day grow up and should leave you. 
Your closest friends are not your people. God created them. They are his people. They are meant to support and be your community. But if they are your source of life, you're going to lose them. Some of you need to give yourself and give your spouse and give your kids and give your friendships permission to look at those closest to you and say, I can't be your solution right now. It's freeing and it's healthy. See, when we look to fill our emptiness with something outside of what, has got, what God creates in us, we will always be left empty. And when we realize we're empty, when we say, you know what, I have nothing left to give, then, watch this, we can start to be filled. This is what we see in this story of God. See, God hears the hunger above the grumbling. The, the Israelites are complaining about leadership. Moses and Aaron, why'd you bring us out here? If we could just go back to Israel, we'd be happy to die there. At least we'd have meat. But it might really be their hunger and not the leaders that they have a problem with. They're looking for food, and it might even be about fear. See, God, in our relationships, he knows the thing behind the thing. He understands the real needs, the real issues. Often, our anger is not our anger at someone else or anything they've done wrong. It's anger rooted in our own failure and shame or we're relationally closed off because of our distrust and our hurt from our past or we can't show affection to others because of the abuse we experienced in the trauma of our past but we can learn how to love from who God is we can learn to love the ones who get on our nerves by looking at God's grace by seeing the heart behind the hunger by seeing grace in the midst of of grumbling. So Moses and Aaron say, just pay attention and you'll see God act and you'll know it's him. Beyond of a shadow of a doubt, you're going to see God act. Now look at verse 10 from this story. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, and remember that's two to three million of them, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Now this is so cool because the last time we see God appearing, the glory of the Lord appearing in this cloud, it's when the cloud is leading them out of slavery across the Red Sea into freedom, into the place where they're about to go to. So this cloud showing up in this moment is a reminder of their past. And then, don't miss this, at the end of Exodus, the time that they will see the cloud in the future is when God comes and dwells among them in the tabernacle. So in the midst of their complaining in the present, God says, I'm going to show you my glory so that you remember your past and you look forward to the future. It's the reminder of who God is. See, don't miss this. Right in the middle of their hunger, their grumbling, God shows up like Moses and Aaron said he would. See, God often for us provides in the present as a reminder of his presence in the past and the promise of his provision for the future. Let's keep going. Verse 13, it says, That evening, now I love this part of the story, right? That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they didn't know what it was. So God shows up here, right? He gives them quail in the evening and something brand new that they had never seen in the morning. Now we know from this story, from the movies we've seen, this, this stuff on the ground in the morning, they called it manna. Manna, fancy word, flakes. They were kind of like flakes of bread with honey. They tasted sweet. Manna, manna, manna. What is it though? 
That's the funny part. The word manna literally means, what is it? So the Israelites are walking around going, manna, manna, manna. What they're really saying is, what is this? What is this? We've never seen this before. And Moses answers their question. Moses said to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is about three and a half liters, for each person you have in your tent. Now, two things here. I want you to grab out of this. God creates and provides what they didn't know they needed. See, God gives them something to eat, and they didn't even know what it was. They didn't know they needed needed it. Now, remember, I said you cannot create the love needed to sustain your relationships. You can't pour what you don't have. It has to come from God. I want to say to you, you actually at times don't know what you need. You think you know what you need. Well, I need more time. If I had more time, then I could love my family better. I could love my wife better. I need more affection. If I got more affection, then I would be more responsive with love. Or I need more money, more attention, more respect. You think you need those things. God actually knows what you need. God might say to you, you don't actually need more time. You need more honesty. You don't need more affection. You need more repentance. You don't need more attention. You need more grace. You don't need more respect. You need more forgiveness. God creates and provides what we often don't know we need. The Israelites had never seen the manna before. They were hungry, but they could not create their food in the desert. They couldn't fill their own empty jars. And God provides something they didn't even know they need. Manna, what is it? It's exactly what they needed that God knew. Friends, when we find ourselves in close quarters with those that we're called to love and we find out it's difficult to keep loving them well, you don't know what you need, but God does. God knows the thing behind the thing. He knows the hunger and the fear behind the grumbling. He knows what's lacking in your marriage, your parenting, your friendships, and your singleness. And he's the only one who can provide and fill up the things that you're lacking. It will not come from anywhere else. And when we realize this, when we realize we can't create what's needed to sustain our relationships, we can't keep them going on our own, something will shift. When we realize we can't create what's needed to sustain our relationships, something shifts and changes and we stop looking to our spouse to fill our jar. And we start looking to God. And see, this is what God does in this story. This is the second thing here. God calls the Israelites to a perpetual state of dependence. He says, listen, I want you to go out. I want you to gather the manna, but every day I want you to only gather what you need. Don't take any more than that. Don't take any less than that. He says, I want you to gather as much as you need. Take it. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. But don't gather any more than that because I want you to stay dependent on me. By the way, this is where the prayer Jesus prays. Give us this day our daily bread comes from. And some of us need this prayer. Some of our relationships need this prayer. Your loved ones closest to you, your spouse and kids and neighbors and friends, they need you praying daily. God, just give me what I need for these relationships. Seeking God's provision, being perpetually dependent on God. Your wife needs you men, listen, to lean on God daily. They need that. Because you cannot give her what she needs. Only God can. You are his conduit. Wives, same thing. Your husband needs you encouraging him in the things of the Lord. Parents, your kids need you walking with Jesus every single day. Asking him to provide and sustain. Because it's the only endless source of life. It's that perpetual dependence. 
let me show you a couple more brief things in this story. Verse 19, then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. It's so gross, right? So Moses was angry with them. This is so interesting to me, right? And so relevant. God gives them a gift, but they're told, don't stockpile God's gifts. Don't take it all off the shelves. We could say it this way. Don't hoard the toilet paper God gives you. But they don't pay attention. Now imagine this. You go to Kroger and you realize there's this shortage of, uh, of toilet paper, whatever your favorite item is. I, I heard this week they might run out of frozen pizzas. That's serious. Please don't buy more frozen pizza than you need. That's how I'm getting by, right? And, and so you buy way more than you need. And when you go to open up whatever those things are, every roll of toilet paper, every frozen pizza has maggots in it. But here's the thing about this we realize. We see in this story that whenever we hoard what was meant to be given freely, it's going to rot. When we grasp onto the things God gives us and we try to keep them for ourselves, they're not going to last. And we can apply this to so many places, right? Like you can, you can die with the most toys and they're going to rot. Bill Gates has all this money in the world, but he can't take it with him. But let's think about this in terms of our relationships. You ever seen the show Hoarders? See, people are scared to death on that show to get rid of anything, afraid of losing something special, hanging on to every sentimental piece of junk just for the hopes that it can be maintained. And you know what the hoarding does? It suffocates them. It closes in on them. They get choked by their close quarters. When it comes to our relationships with the people that we're called to love the most, some of us have become hoarders. Some of us have started stockpiling our mercy making our spouse or our kids or our neighbors beg for it, work for it, earn it by their performance. Or, or we hoard our time, demanding that everything in our life fit our schedule, including our closest relationships. Or, or we hoard our affection, we keep it to ourselves and only utilize a hug or an I love you or a friendly word to a neighbor when it most fits our agenda. And you know what happens with the things that we hoard? They rot. They rot. The maggots take them. If you keep putting your mercy on the shelf, you'll eventually run out of the ability to give mercy. If you keep time to yourself, you'll look back one day and realize you wasted so much time. If, if you refuse affection to the ones who need it, Dad, your kids, listen, they need your affection. They need you to say I love you. They need you to hug them. You will become a cold shell when you hoard that who can't give or receive affection. When we hoard what was meant to be given, it's going to rot. Give what you have. Don't hoard it and let God create the rest that you need. Here's the last couple of things I want to show you from this passage. Look at verse 21. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. And God said to them, or Moses said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever's left and keep it until morning. So listen, this is, this is a super important moment for the history of the Israelites. They're in a desert, they're hungry for food, and God introduces this principle of Sabbath to them. They've not had this principle taught to them yet. He says, I'm giving you bread every single day. Take what you need every single day. No more, no less, don't hoard it. If you take too much and become hoarders, it's going to rot. Except, and I love this, except on the sixth day. On the sixth day, take twice as much, and then on the seventh day, rest. I, I think we pull out of this that rest is to be holy in our relationships. 
Rest should become a holy practice. God tells them, Moses tells them of this thing called Sabbath. At this point, they didn't know what this was. It wasn't a law. They wouldn't get the law of Sabbath till they reached Mount Sinai. But remember, he's testing them. And he says, I'm letting you practice obedience to me. Think about this. This doesn't make sense in our minds all the time. I'm letting you practice obedience to God by practicing rest. And this is the question God asks us even today. Do you trust God enough to stop moving? Do you trust God enough to slow down and rest? This is a test for those who have been in slavery for centuries, by the way. See, Pharaoh didn't take a day off. God says, I've given you enough bread. I've given you more than enough bread, so trust me. But for a people living as slaves, scarcity is a belief that gets deep in our bones and makes us think we have to hoard we have to work hard. One writer says that for, for, for people who think life consists of getting more and more, we can never slow down. And by the way, slaves aren't always poor. It isn't hard to rest simply because we're poor. I, I was thinking this week how the, the pandemic has revealed the different types of slavery that we all live in. We've been held captive to our schedules, to our money to our entertainment, thinking we have to fit everything in all the time. And it's almost like all that has been stripped away. So God promises enough, but the people started to hoard anyway, and it rotted. But in the midst of their hoarding and the rotting, God said, here's the answer. Here's how you get rid of the scarcity mentality. You take a Sabbath. You rest. You be still. Because by practicing Sabbath, you're leaning into trusting God that there's enough to go around, that he can fill our jars in ways that we can't. And we don't have to hustle every day of our lives. Pharaoh never took a day off. Slaves don't either. But the people of God can and do. They rest. Even in pandemics, for those who follow Jesus, we can rest from worry from fear, from hustle. So overlay this to your closest relationships. What does rest look like with the people closest to you? What does trusting God to provide look like in the midst of your marriage and your parenting and your friendships? What does it mean for your marriage to be held up in God's provision? It means you take your hands off of it. You rest. Yeah, you do the work of loving your spouse, but you also surrender it to God. You take your kids and you determine that your micromanagement of their lives, your handling of the building of their college resume building, your filling of their calendars may only be producing little use, little slaves to life that are going to be worn out. It means that for our closest relationships to thrive, we need Sabbath every single week, literally. I hope, I'm praying that for us as life goes back toward whatever normal is going to be, that we make rest a regular thing, that we lean into Sabbath. Can I just challenge you, parents, families, kids, friends, singles, wherever you are, set 24 hours where you rest every week. You're staying at home now as much as you can, but I'm so scared we're going to jump right back to life as it was. And I'm not scared because of the pandemic. I'm scared because it was killing you long before the virus ever existed. Make this something you put in writing, a family covenant. Hang it on the walls of your home. Invite your neighbors into it. Make Sabbath holy for you. I don't care what day it is, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, doesn't matter. But practice rest. Cook out. Slow down. Sit on the couch. Turn your devices off. Invite neighbors over and share food. Lean into the people around you because that's obedience. And obedience to rest will create the conditions for God to create the things that you can't sustain. The very last piece of the story that I want to show you, verse 32, this is what it says. Then 
Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna. Remember, that's about three and a half liters. Take a little bit of that manna and keep it. Now watch, for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. Now I want you to think about the answer to this question in this passage. Who is they? He says, so they can see the bread I gave you. Who is they? He says, gather some manna, put it in a jar, keep it for generations so they can see it. Who are they? Are you, are you ready for this? They are generations. They are the generations from now. They are the children and the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, the great-great-great-grandchildren. God says, don't ever forget the way I filled your life. Don't ever forget the gift that I'm giving you. Don't ever forget the way I'm showing up for you right now. Pass it on. Pass on my provision in the present for the sake of your future generations. And that brings me to this final point that I want to share with you today. It's so important. It's so critical for your closest relationship, especially now as you're living in this season that you're never going to forget. Your kids are going to talk about. Your family's going to talk about. Your friends are going to talk about. Loving the people we're closest to matters right now. As you commit to pouring into your marriage, trusting God with your marriage, loving your kids with the love of Christ, and pouring yourselves out for your neighbors and friends, this is so essential. It's not just about you. It's about a legacy. You see, 100 years from now, someone will look at photo albums or photos online, however they access photos at that point, and they will search out to find stories of their family. And they will be your descendants. They will be your great-grandchildren. And, and after them will be more generations. And somewhere along the line, in all our amazing technological capacities, they will find the relational jars that we've created. They will find the things that exist in our jars. They will find the things to commemorate the legacy of our love. And my question for you today is, what are they going to find in your jar? What are you putting in the jars of your relationships right now, in the jars that are going to be passed down for generation after generation after generation? Some of you get this already because a couple generations ago, somebody filled their jar with surrender and giving up, and it created a divorce that created a fracture in the family that you still carry the baggage of. Some of you understand when jars are filled with struggle and legalism, and rules, rules, rules. And so kids end up walking away from their faith because that's the only jar they've ever been handed. Some of you know a jar from your relationships that's been filled with trauma and abuse. And it's all you can ever pour out is your own trauma and abuse. And it happened generations ago, but you're still carrying the weight of it. See, I wonder today if we started to fill our jars with perseverance for marriages that last a lifetime and they fight for the good of each other. For, with, if we filled our jars with memories of rest and playfulness and creativity and said, let's just take a day off and actually have fun together. And a day off isn't filling it with more extracurricular activities. It's actually just playing together. What if we filled our jars with laughter and love, with trust and provision? And some of you literally, I know you're listening to this and you're going, I don't know how to fill my jar with those things. I have no idea how to create that. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. You don't have to. See, the Israelites had no food and they were hungry. And God said, every day, every day I'm going to give you some manna. 
every day. And I want you to gather it as much as you can. Every day I'm going to provide this. You're going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to give you something. And then I want you to take home as much as you need. Don't take any more than you need because it's going to rot if you do. But then also I want you to take some of this and I want you to put it in your jar. And I want you to put it aside because I want you never to forget the way that I provided the thing that you could never provide on your own. And by trusting that provision of God, by trusting him to fill our jars, we start to create legacies. We start to create something that generations from now, people will find, will see, will hear about. Because we chose trust in Jesus. What's in your jar? What are you letting God put in your jar? Have a conversation this week with your spouse, with your friend, with your roommate, with your kids. What do we want to be about? What do we want God to put in our jar? And I'm inviting you to trust God to provide to lean into his provision. Even if you have nothing to put there, trust that God does. He's got an abundance of grace. He has manna. What is it? We don't know, but he's going to put it in your jar and he will fill you up every single day. As we close, I want you to hear this verse from Jesus in John 6. Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Friends, if your jar is empty, the question that I have for you today is, do you know the bread of life? If you're watching this, if you're checking us out for the first time, or maybe you've been floating around, but you would not say, if you would say, I've never been someone who identifies as a Christ follower. I've never called myself a Christian because Christians have hurt me. Churches have hurt me, but this, this online thing feels safe. And this makes sense to me that I want you to know the story of the manna, the bread in the wilderness was not about filling stomachs. It was an echo. It was a reminder. It was a promise of the future that Jesus was the bread of life who would fill our jar, our relationship in a way that nothing else ever can. And so if you're empty, if you've been longing for something with meaning, then Jesus is the bread of life. And he says, if you come to me, you'll never go hungry. And I'm inviting you to that today. Do you know him? Men, women, singles, kids, friends, families, do you know the bread of life? Do you feed off of him? I'd love to pray for us. And if you would say, today is the day that I feel like I want to know Jesus. Here's what we ask you to do. I would ask you to just, you can either send me a message, justin at newcommunitywv.com, you can go to the Connect tab on our newcommunitywv.com site. Briefly fill that out. Send us a message. You can comment on this feed if you want and just say, I'm saying yes to Jesus today. We will follow up with you. We want to celebrate that with you. We're not going to spam you with emails. We don't have a secret agenda. Our secret agenda is we'd like to get back to meeting sometime. That's it right now. But we would love to follow up with you and celebrate this moment, this decision in your life and help you grow closer to know what it means to be filled up by Jesus every single day. Let me pray for us. And then we have a special uh, song and moment that we want to share with all of our heroes in the community right now, our first responders, our educators, our medical professionals, the ones who are on the front lines every day who need filled up. We want you to know we're praying with and for you. Let's pray together and then we'll watch this video. Jesus, thank you that you are the bread of life. Thank you that you fill our jars. Thank you that you give the things we cannot create. Just as you provided for your people in the wilderness, God, oftentimes we feel like we're in deserts. Maybe we feel like we're in the desert of our marriage right now and we don't know how to keep it going. Maybe we feel like when it comes to our kids, we're just worn out and we've got nothing left. 
Maybe we're just lonely. We're just, we're at home and we're just longing for connection. And God, I pray in whatever situation we're facing, whatever context we're in, that you would fill us up with the bread of life. For those who are watching today who are, who are just saying, you know what, for the first time, this makes sense. I, I want to I follow Jesus. I want to open my heart to him. If that's you, then I would invite you to just pray this prayer in your words. Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. Today I'm giving myself over to you. Today I'm asking you to be the bread of life that fills me up. Jesus, I give myself to you today. Would you have your way in my life? I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again, and I'm putting my trust in you today. Fill us today, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, let us know. Let someone know. If you don't know us well enough, let someone know so that they can begin to walk with you. Again, as we close to our first responders, our educators, our medical professionals, you are our heroes. And we know this has been a hard season for you, and we just did this. We want you to know we're praying with you and for you, and we're here. We're celebrating all that you've done, and we're trusting God to get us all through this. Take care, everybody, and we will see you soon.